welcome to Eaglebrook Church. It's really good to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses or watching this message online someplace around the world. We're so grateful that you're a part of our church, each and every one of you. Uh, we are finding, or we're wrapping up a series today called Dumb Things That Christians Say, and today's message is titled, It Doesn't Matter What You Do. That's a cliche. It's not true. It absolutely does matter what you do, but you'll hear people say things like this sometimes. They'll say, you know, it doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you do that as long as you believe that God exists. Or it doesn't matter if you date somebody who loves Christ as long as you're following your heart. The idea seems to be it doesn't matter what you do as long as you feel a certain way. But look what the Bible says about this in James chapter 2. This is so good. James writes, What is the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith, he writes, can't save anyone. In other words, faith that isn't accompanied by actions, by doing something, is a dead and useless kind of faith. Every single one of us ought to be asking ourselves, is my faith the kind of faith that's accompanied by action? It's accompanied by doing something. But you might wonder, what's the first area of our life that we should all obey God in? And my answer to that might surprise you a little bit. It's baptism. Look at a few of these verses with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The disciple Peter is preaching a sermon to a crowd, and that crowd becomes so moved by his message. They're so convicted by his message that they cry out this. They said, what should we do? By the way, as a pastor, I love that. There's been so many times when I've gone to church and I've heard a message. And I get in the car afterwards and I think, oh, that was good. That one part was really funny. I didn't really like that other part. Where should we go to lunch? And I don't do anything with what I've just heard. James says elsewhere in his letter, he says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Don't just hear God's word. Be a doer of God's word. Every single one of us should be asking God this question, God, what do you want me to do? Peter responds to the audience this way. He says, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, turn from your sins, put your faith in Christ, and then as a first step of obedience, be baptized. I was reading an article in GQ magazine recently about Justin Bieber. I'm not a believer, uh, nor do I have Bieber fever that I know of at least. But the article was about how Justin Bieber had lived with Pastor Carl Lenz for two months earlier this past year. Pastor Lenz is the senior pastor at Hillsong Church out in New York. And during the two months that they were living together, they studied the Bible together and they talked about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And at the end of that time, Justin Bieber declared that he believed in Christ and he wanted to be baptized. But where do you get baptized if you're Justin Bieber? They tried going to the hotel pool that Hillsong normally rents out for its baptism services. But when they got there, the paparazzi had somehow found out and was waiting for them. That's when the GQ article says that Pastor Lenz called his boy Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler used to be the center for the New York Knicks basketball team. Let me just pause here and address the obvious. Pastor Lenz is way cooler than I am. My boys are 10, 8, and 3. And even if I could call my friends boys, all I could say is that two of my friends work for the Minnesota Timberwolves. None of my friends play for the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
If I am ever going to compete with Pastor Lenz, I need Ricky Rubio to become my BFF, okay? Somebody make this happen for me. Okay, back to the story. So Pastor Lenz, he knows that Tyson Chandler lives at this fancy Upper West Side apartment complex that has a pool. And so he calls him up on the phone and he says, I quote, bro, I'm in a jam. I got JB here and he wants to get baptized. It's two o'clock in the morning, but it's JB. Who's going to say no to JB? So Tyson Chandler's like, yeah, come on over. But when they get to his place, they discover that the pool is closed. It's too late. And that's when Tyson Chandler has a game-saving idea. He points out that he's seven feet one tall, inches tall, and Justin Bieber's like 5'9". Tyson Chandler says, I had my bathtub custom built. Why don't we just baptize him in my tub? And so they go down to Tyson Chandler's condo, and Justin Bieber is baptized in the tub at two in the morning in Tyson Chandler's place. Now, I realize that you, if you are a girl under the age of 18, that was like the coolest story you've ever heard in church. And you're going to have a hard time containing your excitement the rest of the service as you think about Justin Bieber getting baptized in a bathtub. I also realize that if you're a man over the age of 55, you feel like I just wasted four minutes of your life. <laughs> so I want to apologize to you for that. Now, I don't know if Justin Bieber's faith is the kind of faith that's accompanied by action. If he's obedient to God, I think time will tell on that. But here's the question I want to raise. If it doesn't matter what you do, why go through all the trouble to be baptized? I mean, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Why not just go to Perkins or Denny's? Why go through all this trouble? The answer is because the Bible says believe and be baptized. What's ironic about all this is that Justin Bieber's baptism had more fanfare than Jesus Christ's baptism. I mean, I'm serious. When Jesus was baptized, there was no paparazzi. There was no excited crowds. There was no sneaking around at night to try to find a private place to be baptized. That's because when Jesus was baptized, nobody even knew who he was. I never realized this until someone pointed it out to me recently. But in the four Gospels, the Gospels are the four accounts that we have of Jesus' life. We read a lot about his birth. There's the manger, there's the wise men, there's the shepherds. We hear about that at Christmas. Then in, God, in Luke's Gospel, he shares a very short story about a 12-year-old Jesus debating rabbis in the temple. But then the very next story is of Jesus being baptized. My point is, when Jesus was baptized... Nobody knew who he was. He hadn't healed anybody that we know of. He hadn't walked on water yet. He had not multiplied the loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people. Nobody even knew who he was. Listen to how the Bible describes this scene. It says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Notice how unassuming it is. It says that Jesus just came from Nazareth. From what we know, Jesus was a carpenter in Nazareth. He took over his family's carpentry business. But then at the age of 30, he leaves Nazareth and he goes to the wilderness to be baptized by John. No one knew he was the son of God, or at least the crowds didn't know he was the son of God. They didn't know that he would rise one day from the dead. 
But listen to what happens when Jesus gets baptized. It says, The heavens were opened, and he, that's Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, and this is God the Father's voice, This is my beloved Son, and I am fully pleased with him. Not even Justin Bieber can top a baptism moment like that. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the chronology of the Gospels, you would kind of assume that after Jesus gets baptized, everything would go great. That's what we kind of assume, right? I'm going to get baptized, and then everything's just going to go awesome. Not so much for Jesus. Immediately after his baptism, he gets led by Satan out into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he eats nothing. He's hungry, he's weak, and at his moment of greatest weakness and vulnerability, Satan begins to tempt him. Interesting that Satan begins to tempt Jesus at his moment of greatest weakness and vulnerability. Oftentimes, he operates the same with us. Last year, our family went and visited a wolf center in Columbus, Minnesota, but these wolves were not your tame zoo variety wolf. These were wild wolves that researchers were studying. And the way it worked was the wolves were all in a cage. They were kind of behind a cage in a, in a pack together. And then you would be on the other side of the cage on a guided tour. The largest pack of wolves was known as the deck pack. And they were known that way because there was this deck that you would walk up on and you overlooked this chain link cage that this pack of about a dozen wolves were in. As we were on this deck, I noticed that when my daughter who was three years old at the time, would kind of wander off away from the adults, the wolves would start prowling around her, and their behavior would become very erratic and excited. Our guide noticed this, and she said that when wolves see little kids, they see them as weak and vulnerable. So they start to prowl and get excited. These wolves wanted to eat my daughter. And so when the rest of the group left to go see a different part of the guided tour, I had a crazy idea. And some of you are going to think, well, oh, this is just wrong. They're going to call a child protection on me. But I can assure you this was completely safe. I put my daughter up on the deck by herself. And then I went down to the bottom. And I watched these wolves go absolutely crazy. They were howling. They were jumping up on the fence. They were biting at one another. And then I ran up on the deck. And they all scattered. Didn't want to have anything to do with the gun show. <laughs> or maybe the BB gun show. But it was very good for my self-esteem. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. Satan is like those wolves. He looks for a weakness and a vulnerability. And when he sees it, he begins to prowl. He looks for an opportunity to strike. That's what he did with Jesus. And that's what he'll oftentimes do with us as well. So let me ask you, is there an area of your life right now where you can tell that you're vulnerable? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's women. Maybe it's attention from men. Maybe it's greed or gossip or anger. I can't help but wonder if Jesus' baptism prepared him for the temptation that was to come. I can't help but wonder if Jesus' first act of obedience prepared him for the second, third, and fourth acts of obedience. And I can't help but wonder if it's the same for us. What if you're about to face a temptation and don't even know it? 
a temptation that could devour your reputation, could tear apart your family? Have you built up your obedience muscle? Every time you obey God, that muscle gets a little bit stronger, but it starts with the first step of obedience. It starts with baptism. In fact, when Jesus approached John in the wilderness, John didn't want to baptize Jesus at first. But listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, it must be done because we must do everything that is right. If ever there was a person who could have said, you know, I don't need to get baptized. I believe in Jesus. It would have been Jesus. And yet here's Jesus going, we must do this. We must do everything that is right. Here's my question for you. If Jesus Christ himself found it necessary to be baptized, why wouldn't we? Whether you're a person who's been following Christ for years, but you've just never been baptized as an adult, or whether you're a person who just put your faith in Christ this past Christmas, what's holding you back from publicly declaring your love for God through the act of baptism? I try to anticipate what a few of the most common objections might be. The first one that maybe you're thinking in your head is, well, I was baptized as an infant, and my parents or grandparents would be upset with me. This is a big one, so let me try and explain. Parents who baptize their kids as infants, they have the best of intentions in mind. They want to raise kids who know and love Christ. And so whenever I'm talking to somebody who was baptized as an infant, I always say, you know, you ought to honor your parents for their desire to raise kids who know and love Christ. We do child dedications here at Eagle Brook for the same reason. But you should also know that there's not one single reference in the Bible to a baby being baptized. In the New Testament, whenever it talks about baptism, it is always attached to the command to believe first. Look at Acts chapter 8 as an example of this. It says, The people believed Philip's message concerning Jesus Christ, and as a result, as a result of the believing, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Notice how belief precedes baptism. And this belief or this faith, it's not your parents' faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your priest's faith. It's your faith. Don't bank on an infant baptism as your ticket to heaven. That would be absolutely tragic. Now, of course, we want to honor our parents and we want to gain their approval. But even more than that, we want to honor God's wishes. And we want to have God's approval. And sometimes in life, you just can't have both of those two things. And in that moment, you have to decide, am I going to live to please people or am I going to live to please God? Second objection that's maybe floating around in your mind is this. I don't feel worthy. I mean, I just feel like I got to get my life together before I do something like that. When Jesus came up out of the water, he heard God the Father say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Notice that Jesus had not done anything to win his father's approval at that point. No sermons, no healings, no rising from the dead. But in that moment, God the Father chose to affirm his unconditional love for his son. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 about God's relationship to us. It says, when we were utterly helpless, not when we got our life together and stopped sinning so much, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get everything in order. God did not die for us after we got everything going right. He sent his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And all of us have sinned. All of us deserve the wages of death for our sin. But the Bible says that you can overcome sin and death through Jesus Christ. If, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that it doesn't say that you'll be saved by being a good person. Almost everybody in America today, if you ask them, well, are, are you going to go to heaven? Are you saved? Do you have a hope of eternity? Almost every single person will say, well, yeah. I'm a good person. I try to avoid the really big sins, and I try to help out people who need help. I mean, I, I, truly, I'm a good person. And I always want to lovingly tell them that the Bible never says that you're saved by being a good person. It's only through faith in Christ. It's because Christ lived a sinless life. He didn't deserve the penalty of death, but he died as a substitute in our place so that when we put our faith in him, everything Jesus did on the cross is credited to us. So have you had a moment where you put your faith in Christ? If you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance at the end of today's service. Today could be your day to believe and be baptized. Another objection that you might have, and I actually think this is the most common one, pride. I became a believer in Christ at the age of 19. I wasn't baptized until I was 26, seven years later. I was actually working as a youth pastor at the time. I had baptized other people but I had never been baptized myself. It got to the point where I was embarrassed. In fact, when I ended up getting baptized, I went to a different church than the church that I worked at because I just thought it would be so weird if I was baptizing people and then I'm like, okay, you do me. Let's just switch now. Now, why did I wait seven years? I don't know. Pride. After a few years, I started to worry what people would think. And maybe you're the same way. Maybe you think, well, if I get baptized today, people are going to go, oh, they've been going to this church for years. I mean, that person's a volunteer. That person's on staff at that church. Or maybe you think, you know, who wants to get up in front of a bunch of people and get wet? Right? I'm too old for that, or I'm too young and cool for that. As somebody who waited an embarrassingly long time myself, I can relate to all those. But here's a thought for you. How proud of you would God be today? If you said, you know what, I'm not going to worry what people think, but I'm going to put a stake in the ground, and I'm going to publicly declare before other people that I love Jesus Christ, and I have trusted him as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe God would be so proud of you today for that. Besides, if you've waited a really long time, we'll just hold you under longer. That's the rule, more sin, more time under the water. So if you see us just jamming somebody down, it's just there's a lot of sin in that person's life. We're trying to take care of it for them. So the next one here. But the water's cold. As you can tell, I'm moving from the deep end of the objection pool into the shallow end. All of our pools are heated to hot tub levels. Next one here. I'm not a member, and I haven't taken the baptism class. Well, Jesus wasn't a member. He didn't take the baptism class. We don't have a baptism class anyway. Next one. I didn't come dressed for it. Okay? This is a big one, right? I'm glad you asked. We've got towels. We've got boxer shorts. We've got T-shirts. We've got shorts. We've got sandals. You can completely change out of your clothes now. We have security to watch your stuff, and you can change into another outfit. You might say, next one here, my hair will get wet or my makeup will come off. 
We've thought of this one as well. We've got wipes. We've got gel. We've got combs. We've got spray. We've got lotion. We've got little binder things. Everything a woman needs is in this little bag, I'm told. Every husband is like, why couldn't my wife's bathroom fit into a bag like that, you know? It's impossible, but at church, all things are, poss are possible, apparently. So, next one, I want my family to see. We have professional photographers at every single campus to capture these images that you can share with your family. We've thought of everything. Even if you didn't come to church today prepared to be baptized, today can be your day to honor God, to publicly declare your faith, and to take that first step of obedience. We actually asked people who were baptized last year to share a little bit about what God has done in their life since they were baptized. One man wrote this. He said, I feel like my baptism was a turning point. Previously, God was just part of my life. I was numb to several habitual sins. But since getting baptized, God has set me free. He's cleansed me. I've never felt more free and forgiven. Imagine walking out of here today, never having felt more free or forgiven. One teenager wrote, before getting baptized, I struggled with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and more. But then I came to Rev, that's our high school ministry here, and he says, I sensed the love of Christ in a way that I never had before. Since then, I've attended every single Rev, get this, it's a teenager, every single weekend service, and I read my Bible and pray almost every day. One mom said, the first thing that my 10-year-old said when he emerged from the water was, I thought my heart was going to burst. It's every mom's wish for her kids to make their relationship with Christ their own. I can tell that my kids are filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that they weren't before. There's something special that happens when a person stops caring what other people think and they take this step of baptism. There's something special that happens when you stand in front of people, when you stand in front of your church and you publicly declare that you love Christ and you've made him the Lord and the Savior of your life. Something that God does in that. In fact, today we want you to hear the story of a woman named Amanda who is going to get baptized at this very service. And we wanted to hear about what God's been doing in her life and what brought her to this point. So would you join me as we welcome Amanda? Hi, my name's Amanda, and I've attended Eagle Brook for about 10 years. I've tearfully witnessed the baptism service many times. And even though I knew I should be obedient and take this step, too, I couldn't muster up the courage to follow through until today. Maybe I didn't trust God enough. Maybe I was waiting for a prompting. I don't know exactly, but I never took that step. My eight-year-old daughter has inquired for a few years about baptism. She's finally old enough now to truly understand the depth of what it means to be baptized. When I asked my son if he wanted to be baptized, he said yes as well. He said it just like that. This has not been an easy year for our family. A little over a year ago, my kids and I lost their dad suddenly. Over the last year, God has met us in our sorrow and he saw, and he saw our tears. He knew our fears and he soothed them. He saw our raw, open wounds and he healed them. We've never been alone this whole time. God has continued to put people in our lives to help us. 
God gave us and continues to give us everything we need, not only to make it, but to thrive. We would have never been able to move forward without his great love. I'm so grateful that we had a strong faith and an awesome church before experiencing such a loss. I'm confident now more than ever that God equips us all to handle anything and everything if we lean into him. We love God and we have felt his incredible love for love more in the past year than I can even begin to describe. And now I'm happy for our little family of three. We're ready to publicly declare our faith in Jesus. One of the things that we love about sharing these stories is they're just very raw. And you start to see what people in this church are going through and what they're dealing with on an everyday basis. And it's so inspiring to hear somebody who is going through something like that say, you know, God was there for us. We found a hope in Jesus Christ. We found a love and a comfort in Jesus Christ that isn't found anywhere else in this world. And so today, my prayer for each and every one of you is that if you have never been baptized, whether you're a new believer or whether you've been someone who's been a believer for years but just has never been baptized as an adult, my prayer for you is that you will take that step today and that God will meet you in that water and that he brought you here today for a reason because there's something he wants to do in your life. And so let me pray for us. And when I'm done praying, uh, like I said, if you're a person who maybe didn't even plan on getting baptized today, or a person who's just putting your faith in Christ for the first time, today can be your day. Let me pray for us at all of our campuses. God, I thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. And I hear someone like Amanda's story and what her family's been through and her little daughter and her son. And as tragic as that is, God, it's so inspiring to see them standing before us and publicly declaring that they love you and that you've been there for them and that you've carried them through this. And God, I know there are a lot of people in this church who have a lot of burdens and are struggling in a lot of ways. And I pray that they would sense the same presence and comfort and love from you on a daily basis. God, for those of us who have never put our faith in Christ, today could be our day. God, they're just going to pray with me in the quietness of their own mind. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you and that my sin has separated me from you. But right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would forgive me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. I put my faith and my trust in him. And God, right now in this moment, I declare that he is the Lord and the Savior of my life. Come into my life right now, God. Fill me up with your spirit. And today I'm going to be baptized as a first step of declaring this new relationship with Christ. And God, for all of us here, I pray that we'd be, in, we'd be inspired by what you're doing in this church and how you're working in people like Amanda's lives. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn it back over to our campus pastors.